Welcome to the Guardian Mindset Podcast, presented by attorney Eric Daigle. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. My name is attorney Eric Daigle, and I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the staff here at Daigle Law Group. You know, just recently this week, I put out on LinkedIn something that popped up and got me thinking, and I've been dealing with it in so many cases lately. I'm like, you know what? I got to talk about it. And then we really got to get officers out in the field to start understanding the issues. And this is not something that is new. A lot of our significant deaths that have occurred across the country over the past few years, things like the death of George Floyd and the the death of Elijah McLean are really directly related to something that law enforcement and medical and fire have been dealing with for decades. And then what we talk about is, you know, we call it so many different things, but the issue on the table is the term excited delirium. And if you've never heard that term before in the law enforcement arena, I'd say that you, know, you must be hiding under a rock because unfortunately it's a term that is just like any other term. We didn't make it. We use it in training and have used it in training in the decades, but the issue on the table that we've seen over the past and really coming to a head in November of this year, which we'll talk about, is what's going on with this excited delirium? Is it fact or fiction? When we talk about the term excited delirium, please, I'm going to be very clear. I'm, I'm not a medical expert in any sense of the word whatsoever. I'm only going to review so much information that's out there right now about the the agitation and the history of what was initially known as sudden death, right? And when I, so we got to just start defining a few things. What is sudden death? Sudden death is where a cardiorespiratory system collapses and occurs within 24 hours of the onset of symptoms. And, and then there's sudden in-custody death, which is identified by Dr. John Peters from the Institute for the Prevention of In-Custody Death IPICD, great training programs uh, to the point where, you know, this is decades worth of research and information. Dr. Peters defines as, as unexpected cardiac deaths of individuals who were in stable medical conditions less than 24 hours previously with no evidence of a non-cardiac cause. Well, what's the concern? Let's be honest. The individuals that you're dealing with on the street uh, that they are in, there are individuals who are under the influence of drugs and alcohol in crisis situation and having psychotic episodes. How do we know? Well, we've been training officers for decades to understand and identify them. And that's really what we're going to, to focus on here, which is uh, be directly honest with you. I don't care what they call it. Uh, that's people way beyond us. But what we can't deny is that there are incidents where people who are under the influence of cocaine, methamphetamine, and some form of crisis and acidosis that once they interact with law enforcement, they go into a crisis situation. And what we know of our training in a very basic concept is that for well over a century, medical experts have used various terms to describe this condition. And, and the condition is one in which we witness subjects 
experience a disturbed state of mind. They can have anger and violent behavior, fear and panic. Um, elevated body temperature, you know, hyperthermia, usually coupled with excessive sweating. And then a sudden pause in behavior during which the subject stops struggling and a sudden respiratory arrest, which often leads to death. Now, listen, I've been in this arena for, for 30 years from the start of law enforcement, and for 25 of them, we've been dealing with the fact that when you deal with individuals, we've learned in our training, when you deal with individuals who are appear to be under the influence, could be suffering from medical or psychological issues, are in a disturbed state of mind, are showing areas such as anger, violent behavior, fear, panic, high intensity to lights, to objects and things that we're going to talk about here, that what we've known is that it is going to put us on notice. And, and that's the point here. They can argue about the topic all they want. But for you as a law enforcement officer, as a correction officer, it doesn't change our training. It doesn't change the fact that we have to be able to be trained to recognize that there is an issue and to recognize situations in which we need to get paramedics on scene. Um, Dr. John Peters in the Institute of Prevention and Custody Death has a moniker that he uses called medical crisis, a medical crisis. And if you spell out the letters, a medical crisis, and we go in an order, it says acute onset, mental health issues, excited, extreme agitation and emotional, delusional, disoriented, distracted, insensitive to pain, invisible people, call EMS, backup officers, supervisors, aggression towards objects like glass or your cruiser, loud, incoherent speech and screaming, and then crisis, confused, disoriented about self, resist violently before, during, or after restrained, possibly having respiratory distress, strips off clothing, naked, intense paranoia, and superhuman strength. If you are experiencing these in somebody that you have detained for a criminal and or non-criminal application, then you uh, are, have been trained, hopefully, to recognize the aspect of this individual is in crisis and there is a need for medical attention. Well, what brought this to my attention this week was an article that was written by an attorney, David Givett, G-I-V-O-T, on January 8th, where they reviewed the takeaways from the conviction of the Aurora, Aurora Fire Rescue Paramedics in the death of Elijah McLean. And the title of the article is called The EMS System Failed McLean and the Justice System Failed the Paramedics. And the, the, the aspect here which became important is the aspect that the individual officers, the paramedics involved in this incident, they were criminally arrested and charged and convicted for their involvement in the death of Elijah McLean. They were they were found guilty of criminal negligent homicide in the death of Elijah McLean. And, and the key part here is that the it really looked at the fact of something that many of our training classes have dealt with in the use of force arena, which is 
uh, criminalization of human factors. And, and here we're not talking about the actions of the officers. We're talking about the actions of the paramedics on scene for providing ketamine to uh, Elijah McLean. And uh, in the, the application here of the, the fact that, that their action, their perception, they decided to go with providing ketamine. And as a result of that, they, uh, they were, took on a negligent uh, homicidal application to it. This brought a lot of challenges because one thing is pretty clear, you know, law enforcement in its general is, is pretty used to the fact um, uh, of being challenged for our actions and our decision-making in custody situations that result in death. But be, what becomes more relevant here is that, you know, you don't often see that in the paramedic application. And so as I was dealing with this and dealing with it in a couple other cases, I dove into the fact of, well, let's, let's deal with understanding what Excited Delirium was in its concepts and how the industry is uh, moving away from what they have termed as a controversial term. And the reason why it's defined as a controversial term is because the medical industry has decided that this term uh, is being used as an excuse. And, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the evidence of this just because this is not a you know, this is not a soapbox for me to take on the medical industry, but to say uh, we should be concerned. You know, there's an article written in Police One by David Baker, and he really does a great job, which I'm going to jump on some of this here, of identifying the history and the challenges. And, and, and what he says is, for decades, law enforcement officers, medical examiners, and emergency medical professionals have used the term excited delirium and excited delirium syndrome to describe subjects experiencing extreme agitation, excitability, paranoia, and aggression, often associated with stimulant use and certain psychotic disorders. While officers continue to encounter subjects displaying such symptoms, the term excited delirium has come under significant scrutiny and is now disavowed by major medical and psychological organizations. So let's give you a little bit of history. The first part is this term should be removed from your policies and procedures. Um, we here at a DLG Policy Center, we do not use the term excited delirium, and we suggest that none of you use the term in your policy or in your training due to the controversies that are, are, are being built by the medical industry and uh, individuals who are challenging the death of people while in custody. And, and I'll go through some of the, the concepts of it. So let's go on some history, right? This condition has been labeled many terms. Uh, if you look back at its history, it started with Bell's mania, acute exhaustive mania, lethal catatonia, and agitated delirium. And in 1985, in the height of the U.S. crack cocaine epidemic, researchers Charles Weddle and David Fishbein dubbed the condition excited delirium, noting it often co-occurred with cocaine use, though typically a drug concentrations lower that seen in the case of cocaine overdose. 
The term was often referred to as excited delirium or EXD. Now, what David Baker does in his article is he does a great job. So this is giving me the basis of uh, laying out the history here. So let's start with the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine and in the noted that the excited delirium and, and agitated delirium describes a subject exhibiting agitation, aggression, acute distress, and sudden death, often in a pre-hospital care setting. The report pointed out that about two-thirds of excited delirium victims die at the scene or during transport by paramedics or police. Citing the founders, the report noted that those who died without contact with the police were often discovered in a bathroom after apparent attempts to cool their body temperature using wet towels and ice trays. Now, For Science has also written a few articles on this, and in one of their articles that you can find online, labeled as excited delirium, identifies that this, this delirium or this symptom can be caused by a number of different medical conditions. Uh, internal body temperature getting higher in 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 the way that we've learned it in the law enforcement realm is that the body internally cooks and that there is kind of like a, there's kind of like a electric breaker in your body. And that is once the body temperature gets to a point of somewhere around 107, my understanding, that your body shuts itself down for the purpose of hoping to cool it off. Now, think about this for a second. You have an individual who is having this aggression, this in this chaotic state, in crisis, you then are taking him into custody, you're wrestling with him, multiple officers are attempting to restrain and detain this individual. What do you think's happening to the body temperature? What do you think's happening to the process? Now, I get it. You have to, you have to uh, attempt to restrain the individual, even if it's for the purpose of bringing medical on the scene. Oftentimes, Medical and fire will not respond to the scene unless they have a clear path for treatment purposes. Um, we know that people with diabetes, uh, at least what the Four Science article talked about, low blood sugar may also exhibit sudden changes of mood, confusion, and bursts of energy. Um, head injuries, uh, delirium treatments, and thyroid storm. Uh, are also things that are very similar to excited delirium. Everything from the 1985-85 era till about 2000s into 2010, officers have been taught to recognize and respond to excited delirium as part of an academy and post-academy training. Over the years, this guidance has changed. Early tactics often vary dramatically from agency to agency, as David identifies, as understanding of the risks of certain restraint positions become more widespread. We know that guidance evolved a fair avoiding of a prolonged struggle whenever possible, and when a calm and deliberate approach proves ineffective, the use of other restraints and control techniques as opposed to pain compliance measures is preferred. You know, the number one thing that we're going to look at here and that I want you to take away from this, and I'll I'll go into this in a little more detail in a minute, is that the most important guidance that we can give you in the area of dealing someone 
in this chaotic event is that the need the officers need to recognize these subjects as experiencing a medical emergency and call medical as quickly as possible get medical to the scene so where's the problem begin well here's the history that david did such a good job of laying out according to a 2002 report prepared by physicians for human rights phr multiple studies have suggested that the diagnosis of excited delirium may have been used to justify excessive force by law enforcement. And he quotes custody deaths in Texas, which showed that 17% of 289 cases were identified as excited delirium, and also a similar study in Florida where 85 deaths were blamed for this condition over a period of 10 years. After extensive review of the literature and consult with experts, the Physicians for Human Rights concluded that the term excited delirium cannot be disentangled from its racist and unscientific origins. That's a quote. For example, in a 2021 article in the Virginia Law Review revealed that 166 in-custody deaths across the country, black subjects made up over 43% of those with excited delirium, listed as the possible cause of death. The percentage rose from 56% when Black and Hispanic subjects were combined. And that's quoting from a 2021 Virginia Law Review article. The turning point, as you can imagine, came from the 2020 death of George Floyd. And that turning point led to a viral video that obviously had an effect uh, and and one of the officers uh, mentioned the condition while the other officer had George Floyd in a prone position on the ground. The, as we know, the officer was later convicted of unintentional second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. And, and the officer who mentioned the condition of excited delirium later pled guilty to aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. As a result of this, the APA, or the American Psychiatrist Association, revisited their positioning on the use of excited delirium. Uh, and in December of 2020, the IPA made the following official statement on the use of the term. It is the position of the American Psychiatric Association that acute medical conditions, including del delirium, always require an appropriate medical response. Therefore, it's the position of the APA that, one, the term excited delirium is too nonspecific to meaningfully describe and convey information about a person. Excited delirium should not be used until a clear set of diagnostic criteria are validated. Number two, an investigation should be undertaken in, in, of cases labeled with excited delirium to identify how the term is being used and whether consistent criteria are being applied and whether it has any validity as a medical syndrome. In number three, there's more to number two, but I'll just go to number three. All jurisdictions should develop, implement, and routinely update evidence-based protocols for the administration of ketamine and other sedating medications in emergency medical context outside the hospital. These protocols should allow use of these medications only for treatment purposes 
in medically appropriate situations and should explicitly bar their use to achieve incapacitation solely for law enforcement purposes. Well, so let's get right to the right to the issue, right? In in part of their uh, their analysis is that the DSM DSM five, which we all know is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, um, does not list excited delirium as an actual psychological condition. Well, half a year later, in June of 2021, as David points out, the American Medical Association put out its own press release, stating that the organization's position regarding the term, a policy adopted by physicians, residents, and medical students, at the American Medical Association, opposes excited delirium as a medical diagnosis and warns against the use of any pharmaceutical intervention solely for a law enforcement purpose without legitimate medical reasons. Um, And they go one step further, and I think this was very interesting. The new policy addresses reports that show a pattern of using the term excited delirium and pharmaceutical interventions, such as ketamine, as justification for excessive police force, disproportionately cited in cases where black men die in law enforcement custody. Well, this is what we're dealing with, right? This is the, the history, and they're being very specific to the fact that, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a simple guy, and I'm interpreting this to mean that the term excited delirium is being used as an excuse to for excessive police force that is disproportionately used on black men who die in law enforcement custody. Uh, I think that's that's kind of concerning, but you have to know that. As part of its statement, the American Medical Association recommended that all law enforcement and EMS responders be trained in de-escalation techniques and the appropriate use a pharmacological intervention for agitated individuals in out-of-hospital settings. It is the AMA's view that subjects who are clearly experiencing mental health emergencies should be attended to by medical and behavioral professionals, not law enforcement. Okay, that's great, but how do we get them there? The medical is not being dispatched to the guy in the middle of the street waving a bat or an object the medical the dispatch is being um, police are being dispatched and while they may arrive on scene and quickly recognize based on their training and that's the importance of this training that this individual is in crisis the individual has to be uh, contact is made with the individual and some restraint or application is applied for the purposes of contacting medical I think they're they're clearly not taking into consideration the fact that how do you get them to medical? It's just not automatic. You know, it's not like, hey, take a number. The ambulance is coming. We got to find a way to 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 bridge the gap. I mean, the tire has to hit the road here, you know, and they have to recognize that involvement of law enforcement with individuals in crisis becomes more challenging. In March of 2023, the National Association of Medical Examiners made its position clear on the topic. And as David put in the article, 
In a statement on its website, the organization said, quote, although the term excited delirium or excited delirium syndrome have been used by forensic pathologists as a cause of death in the past, these terms are not endorsed by name or recognized in renewed classifications of the WHO, ICD-10, or the DSM-5. The next month, April of 2023, the American College of Emergency Physicians reversed its position on the term excited delirium to bring it in line with the APA and the AMA. They disavowed the use of the term in clinical settings, and the ACEP continues to use the terms hyperactive delirium and hyperactive delirium syndrome with severe agitation. So I, I think our application is going to start moving more towards using the terms hyperactive delirium. In May of 2023, the American College of Medical Toxicology, also known as the ACMT, recommended that its members abandon the term excited delirium as a diagnosis and a cause of death. Wait till you see what they, they now want to call it. Notably, the ACMT recognized that the continuing need for a term to describe patients with altered mental states who are aggressive or have vital signs suggestive of excessive adrenergic activity. Yeah, say that three times fast. The organization advocated for the term hyperactive delirium with agitation and pointed out that the de-escalation techniques sometimes involving sedatives would still be necessary for some subjects. Physical restraints, which are often associated with deaths in excited delirium patients, should be minimized and discontinued as early as possible. Well, what happened after that? Well, in October of 2023, the ACEP withdrew its 2009 white paper on excited delirium syndrome. And again, the same month, the state of California, yes, the state of California, passed a law banning the use of excited delirium by coroners, medical examiners, and law enforcement in any reports. That law, known as AB360, specifies that excited delirium is not recognized as a valid medical condition or cause of death in state in, in the evidence that a person experiencing excited delirium is inadmissible in any civil action. The law also made a point of banning alternative terms such as hyperactive delirium, agitated delirium, and exhaustive mania. I bet you didn't think you were going to hear so many medical terms in a DLG podcast, did you? All right, so listen, what do we need to know? Well, there's a there's an article written on November 3rd, Understanding Excited Delirium in the Four Takeaways for Law Enforcement Officers. And I, and I really just want to really end by focusing on what you should be paying attention to. Forget about the words. Forget about the name. Uh, that's what the medical environment has to deal with. But what we need to focus on is how to respond to subjects exhibiting signs of extreme medical and mental state. Well, this article recommends a couple of good points. Number one, subjects in crisis often pose a threat to themselves and others. And as they say, regardless of terms and terminology, you still encounter highly agitated subjects in the course of everyday work. 
They, the causes of violent, out-of-control behavior are many and varied. Drug, alcohol, mental illness are the most obvious, but also there are infections, head injuries, reactions to medications, aging, diabetes. One of the things that we know is that looking at a, a 2018 study uh, of the condition, and the authors noted that police encounters with highly agitated individuals, 89% uh, of the time involved a struggle between the subject and the arresting officer that went to the ground. 82% of the time involved the subject assaulting the officers and threatening bodily harm or death. And common use of force techniques such as pain compliance, taser device deployment, manual force, and OC were often found to be ineffective. So we know that when responding to a scene involving a violent, agitated subject, extreme care must be taken to do everything possible to de-escalate the situation in an effort to reduce the risk of harm to the subjects, the officers, and others. Number two, regardless of what it's called, it's still a medical emergency. Right? When you start to figure out that your individual who's extremely agitated, what it's called or what the reason for the behavior is doesn't matter. What we do know is immediately request backup because you're going to need it. Call for medical help. Recognize specialized help and request the need for specialized help when you can. Give the subject space uh, and use your de-escalation techniques. Try to calm the victim and try your best to get more information, right? Be wary of a multiple officer response um, that leads to a pile up or a pile on and in a, a very important evaluation of what restraint tactics are necessary to safely secure the subject. Uh, you know, we're going to avoid the back and neck area if possible for the purpose of respiratory issues. Um, if you need more guidance on this, there is an IACP law enforcement policy guidance specifically responding to persons experiencing a mental health crisis, and it would probably be a great review for you on the street and an invaluable resource for additional information. Rely on emergency medical personnel. If you're able to get EMS on the scene, solicit and follow their advice regarding timing, manner, and duration of using restraints. If subduing a highly agitated subject is necessary, concentrate on the restraint without using large muscle groups, which would minimize the buildup of lactic acid, decreasing the risk of potential cardiac arrest. Regardless of whether seated upright or, or, or in prone, it's critical to continually monitor the subject's breathing throughout the encounter so that you're well aware when, when and if the breathing stops. When you're done, describe and document, right? Don't diagnose. You're not mental health or medical professionals. Leave the diagnosis to those people that have big letters after their name, right? Describe using plain and accurate language. What you see, what you hear. And my recommendation and many people's recommendation is keep away and avoid the term excited delirium.
uh, document your attempted interventions and be sensitive. Remember, the cause of the kind of violent agitation being described are many and varied. That person that you're dealing with is likely not in control of their actions. And as you use your de-escalation techniques, you'll, extreme care must be taken to do everything possible in an effort to reduce the risk of harm to subjects, officers, and others. The, the conclusion as I wrap this up is just this. Let the medical professionals argue about what they're going to call it. That's not us. We're not a medical professional. But we do know one thing. History and decades have shown us that individual in chaotic states in intense agitation while under the influence of alcohol and possibly suffering from mental and physiological harm or psychological harm can and often do lead to a sudden death. And therefore, the best thing that we can do in the industry is continue to train officers to recognize and respond to these areas. It's not going to change. Just because they change the name or don't disavow the name doesn't mean what you deal with on a daily basis are going to change. Just something for you to think about. If you got a few minutes, you can just throw Excited Delirium into the internet. There's plenty for you to read there. But the concept is very simple. We train on symptoms and the recognition of symptoms. Appreciate your time today. Listen, remember, help those who need your help. Protect those who need your protection. And most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Be well. The Guardian Mindset Podcast is sponsored by the DLG Learning Center. You can find us at www.dlglearningcenter.com. On the Learning Center, you can find an extensive library of articles, webinars, and online training. Listen, if you find the podcast informative, I'd recommend checking out our weekly Path of the Guardian video training and our monthly supervisory continued education program. These programs can be purchased by single users or department-wide. And if you want easy access to articles and information, please download the Daigle Law Group app through either your Apple App Store or your Google App Store. And remember, help those who need your help, protect those who need your protection, and most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.